0: You're here at episode 275. You've heard all about the amazingness that comes from spirulina and chlorella, but did you know that these foods don't actually solve the widespread omega-3 deficiency problem that exists in our society or the B vitamin issue for vegans and vegetarians, despite it being advertised and promoted as though they do? I went on a bit of a research journey in the last few months, as requested by hundreds of you, to understand this world of microalgae and phytoplankton with the aim of finding the best possible whole real food option that I would feel confident and comfortable recommending and consuming myself and I found it I found one and in this episode we speak about that product but more importantly we get into how the omega-3 food chain supply even in fish is dwindling the issues with getting omega-3 from nuts and seeds the false b vitamins that some green powders have and how to include the tiniest whole real food to ever exist for the best chance at a nutrient-dense diet Oh, I'm excited for this conversation. So let's get into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously. So you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Have I got an episode for you. Finally, after all the emails, the messages, the DMs and the posts in our groups about where you can get spirulina in Australia and in other countries, we've finally got a conversation centered around spirulina, chlorella and algae products. I have an episode right here that is going to introduce you to an incredible business, product and the man that heads it all up. But first, in 2023, it's my mission to coach 500 people to stop the binge eating and savage self-talk cycle so they can lose weight whilst feeling in control and without restriction along the way. And good, healthy, wholesome nutrition is always a part of that story. And that's why this episode has so much relevance to anybody going on a journey like that. Okay, so I want to introduce you to Mr. Mark Pages, who is the founder and CEO of Vitality, a nutrition company that specializes in marine phytoplankton. And that might make a lot more sense if I start to use words like spirulina and chlorella. Now, there are many nuances in this conversation, and we'll get into those soon. But a little bit about Mark. So, Mark's educational background is as an international business person and business psychologist, which is pretty impressive. And he ended up creating a nutrition company because in 2007, he had the urge to try a plant based diet, as many of us, including myself, have experimented with before. And this diet experiment was to see if he could get all of the nutrition he needed on a plant-based diet using whole foods that could provide all the nutrition that you might find in a conventional diet that includes meat and fish. Of course, what he discovered was that it wasn't really possible or at best, it was quite difficult to achieve that. And so this took Mark's business brain to a place where he wanted to solve problems that not just he, but thousands of people have, which is meeting all of your daily nutritional requirements. Irrelevant of the diet, many people have that challenge. So along that way, he invested in two green biotech companies in Spain and the Netherlands in 2008, working with cutting-edge scientists to isolate and develop unique growing systems to grow the smallest microscopic plants that have ever existed, aka phytoplankton. And after 5 years of R&D in Europe, Vitality was born, launching in 2013. Phytoplankton was quickly picked up by a few health gurus in the USA and it took off, which is incredible. And cut to 2023 with us today and Vitality is taking its production and education to the next level. And why wouldn't you do that by hanging out on this podcast, right? So Mark, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you, Maddie, for having me on. It's a pleasure to
1: join you today. I love what you've been doing and the health and wellness journey you're taking your listeners on and uh, happy to be a part of that.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. So I want to just share a little bit of history for the listeners that Vitality four or five years ago now in the very, very early stages of the podcast was actually the first business to ever interact with the podcast and support the podcast because back then I had a A relatively okay sized Instagram following and we had some DM conversations uh, in Instagram years ago and you sent out some stuff for me to try and so yeah there's a cute little bit of history there that's like Vitality was actually the first company to ever engage with the how to not get sick and die podcast years ago.
1: Fantastic, Maddie. And you're looking very well. So I hope those little (laughs) samples inspired you on that journey somehow.
0: Well, you very kindly hooked me up with plenty of samples since then. So um, absolutely. So I mean, let's get into it, right? So when we, I mean, the first time we caught up on the phone, we were talking for almost three hours. So I know that you have so much amazing wisdom. And I've been so excited to get your like everything you've got to share out to everybody. And so maybe a good place to start, though, is the conversation between spirulina and phytoplankton and your and how your journey is a part of that.
1: Absolutely. So spirulina and chlorella, typically freshwater species of microalgae, and they've been the staple when it comes to microalgae. They've been the staple go-to green nutrients where we get our proteins and minerals from I guess the big difference for myself was when I was looking at taking these plant-based nutrients back 15 years ago when I did my initial vegetarian experiment, where can we get those hard-to-get nutrients? And while spirulina and chlorella are great products, um, I guess what I was looking for on my plant-based journey was how to get EPA and DHA. So these are long-chain omega-3s that are typically found in fish. And those those are found in spirulina and chlorella. And so phytoplankton, the type of microscopic plants that we focus on, are isolated from the ocean. And the ocean really, you know, the evolution of Earth and the ocean somehow dictated that microalgae or phytoplankton strains that are isolated in the ocean typically have, many of them, an Omega-3 profile. And this is a little bit different to... Spirulina and chlorella that don't have those long chain omega threes.
0: Gotcha. It's interesting, and one of the things that sort of really piqued my interest when we were f- talking the first time a few or a few months back now um, on the phone was the idea that a lot of the advertising and marketing around some of these products that promote omega three content, and then we jumped on the phone with you, and you said that it's not really absorbable or the form of omega-3 that is available is not very bioavailable. And so whilst it's advertised in these spaces that these green powders and and whole foods have this in them, that the human body doesn't actually pick up much of it.
1: Yeah, that's correct. So part of my journey around Uh, omega-3s was really understanding Where to get what nutrients? So when we're talking omega threes, you know we've primarily got three forms of omega threes. We've got the ALA, which is found in hemp, chia, flax, and walnuts. Then we have more what we call EPA and DHA, which are longer chain fatty acids, which primarily we've got in in um, our seafood. You know from fish or marine source. So one of the big misconceptions is that if you eat enough Uh, Hemp, chia, and flax—that you'll get those, you know—that the body will convert, and you'll get those dive into this. I was quite surprised to find out that the conversion was long-chain omega-three fatty acids, the EPA and DHA type you need. And when I took a deep, very, very low, and we can get into a little bit more about why and what are some of the blockers. But yeah, essentially, when you're taking be it other green plants like spirulina or chlorella or your hymchi or flax, you're not getting that same form of omega-3 that's been well studied for brain health, heart health, etc.
0: Yeah. Uh, something else, too, that's really prevalent, particularly in the Western world. But at this stage, you know, I often say Western world when I talk food, but it's the Western world has contaminated basically the whole world is that omega 6 consumption is so incredibly high that it ends up having a blocking effect on omega 3 uptake. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's correct. The research into omega 3 long chain fatty acid absorption shows in the West. That particularly people on a Western diet and, and in our Western diet, you know, the refined carbs and refined food that we buy in the supermarket has a high concentration of saturated omega-6. What we see in places like Japan and Korea that have a very much lower saturated omega-6 in their diet is in the clinical studies or research studies that showed omega-3 transfer it was a higher transfer. So let's go back and talk about those hemp, chia, and flax that we have under 1% on average. It varies a little bit between male and female, but we have around 1% conversion of those shorter chain omega-3s to the more longer chains that we need for these heart health and brain health. Now, the Japanese were getting about 2%. That's about double, but it's still not going to give you what you need for good omega-3 health. And so what we're seeing is sadly saturated 6 has shown to be a leading reason why we're not absorbing omega-3. And one of my concerns actually coming from the health and wellness space is some vegetarians and vegans were actually overloading on hemp, chia, and flax to get that ALA to EPA, DHA conversion to get that good source of omega-3. But in doing so, they were overloading omega-6, which actually may be having potentially negative effect rather than a good effect because yeah, the ratio of omega-3 to 6 our body needs is really important. So we don't want to overload omega-6.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I remember too. So you've got a really, really interesting background, your backstory, and I'd love if you could share a little bit and then lead into this idea that the omega three industry as a whole, from a food supply standpoint, is under immense stress and pressure. And I remember when we talked, we talked about the classification of fish being changed as no longer having much omega three in it anymore, particularly in Europe. Um, and so, if you could share a little bit about your background that you, where you spent time in Europe with this information and with these with this work, and then tell us maybe why that Omega-3 system and supply worldwide is under such stress?
1: Yeah, that's a very interesting story and interesting
0: It is, yeah.
1: Interesting background as how I came to learn about the whole Omega-3 supply chain. So if we cut back to, I guess, aquaculture 101 or so typically, micro phytoplankton or microalgae are used as a source or feed in aquaculture for microscopic fish. We call it larvae, the first fish that are fed in aquaculture. In my learning, so I basically, based on my background in microalgae, I was granted, my consulting company in Europe was granted a research project by the Dutch Ministry, which is part of a broader EU project, into researching alternative sources of omega-3 in a fish diet, And basically, so what happens is these microscopic fish are are used to feed larvae and they're basically used and those fish are brought out to cages. Now, what happens over the years is that the fish catch is at its maximum quota for a long time. And some interesting facts for the listeners, about 65% of the global wild fish catch every year is used to go into aquaculture to feed fish. So we're catching fish and killing fish to feed fish. Right. Approximately two-thirds of the global supply. That are the approximately 20%, just over 20% now, go into fish oil supplements. And the balance is mainly used for wild fish. So what we see is the whole pressure on the marine ecosystem is really resulting in when we talk at aquaculture, they can't get any more... We can't increase the quota. We're already fishing the seas. You know, fish are reported to be smaller and smaller. The catches of wild fish are harder and harder to get. They need to go into further pristine areas to get their fish. But I guess when we've got this growing, sorry, global population, the Chinese and the Indians, they want to start, they want to consume a diet that the Westerners have, you know, a diet higher in omega threes, be that from. Fish or from supplements. And so now there's a big pressure on the supply chain to get these omega threes to a global populace that wants these benefits. You know, so I guess people in China and India weren't really getting high omega three. So I guess the challenge is how to get these in diet. So what we're seeing over the last 30 years is actually in aquaculture, where you used to have something like about 25 to 30% of the fish. Diet in aquaculture being fish meal and fish oil over the last decades, that's decreased somewhat due to the growth of aquaculture and due to the control of the amount of raw material available. And what we're seeing today is less than 10% omega 3 oils in aquaculture fish, like salmon. So, in the UK, as an example, they're revising and they're also doing this in the EU, they're actually revising whether Products like farmed salmon should actually have a good omega 3 marketing slogan, whether you can actually quote salmon as a good omega 3 source. And this is quite, quite a big change from the last 30 years. You know, we're talking about one third of the omega 3s being in a farm fish. So there's a real serious issue on the supply chain. And, you know, I guess we really have to revisit where you know what foods do have omega-three in them and this is one of the one of the many reasons why vitality exists, you know, to to supply an you know a a supply of non-wild harvested, you know, be that fish or algae, you know, a control controlled mm-hmm. source of manufactured high purity omega-threes where we go directly to the source, you know, bypass the fish, bypass this unsustainable current unsustainable process of aquaculture, you know, and make available, hopefully for a world populace, these much needed long chain omega threes.
0: Yeah, I think it's something that we forget, or some people forget in regards to the fact that even if you are eating a whole, whole real food diet, you know, irrelevant of the dietary template, is that the the food itself also needs to be abundant in health which is why i'm such a you know proponent for like regenerative farming so that we're moving back to a place where oh the plants and the animals are actually super nutritious and healthy themselves they don't just look like what something that previously embodied nutrition you know now looks like and so you know there's the same issue with cows that are not fed on a pasture is that if they don't get enough k1 from the grass Their stomach is meant to then convert it to K2, and then we eat the meat that, you know, and absorb the K2. And then a lot of people are deficient in K vitamins because the meat that they've been consuming for so very long does not have these K vitamins in it because they're factory farm, grain fed, don't see the sun type animals. And so we assume that, like, oh, it's healthy because it's whole real food, but we need to, you know, remember that what we eat. What they ate is just as important. And so, if we deteriorate the quality of the food that we're, or the life forms on this earth, be it plant or be it animal, then inevitably we deteriorate our own.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Maddie. Yeah, I mean, I think we, you know, we really need to get back to the principles of nutrition, you know, which are getting good nutrients, whole food, dense nutrients into our diet. And my goal, I mean, I guess my whole journey around going down that road of trying to cultivate phytoplankton is really to give humans and nature the chance to get what we see as an essential nutrient in your diet so you know just some statistics on omega 3s they say approximately 92% of the population is not at an optimal level of omega 3s and nearly all vegetarians and vegans are also sub at suboptimal conditions of omega 3 so I guess you know our goal is two pronged it's supporting those on a plant based diet, but mm-hmm. it's also supporting those who may want to reduce their fish intake you know we have a lot of customers that say I see I am learning and I understand the pressures we have on our ecosystem and the ocean, so I like to consume fish, perhaps or consume fish once a week or twice a week, and take a whole food supplement to get my combined omega three daily or weekly requirement so we're we're all about Health and wellness, but doing it in an ethical and sustainable way
0: yeah totally and and the thing that I really enjoy about the fact that sure your a lot of your marketing is to marketing is to vegan and vegetarians, and that's a big part of your mission, but I love that you know it's not uh, this dogmatic approach to diet it's just like here's another way to uh, to fulfill your nutritional requirements that also have a helpful effect on the planet and the food system, and there's no doubt that the food system needs some kind of revolution and maybe this is the beginning of it right
1: yeah i mean the you know food and nutrients are a broad subject definitely i think from our focus which is primarily around omega-3s you know we want to play a role in in giving everyone a chance to be to have good health good brain health good heart health and that's what omega-3s contribute to
0: so i guess with the the idea that these omega-3s are hard to get out of spirulina what is the difference between the spirulina versus the phytoplankton, which makes this, the, the omega-3s much more bioavailable?
1: Yes, yeah, So spirulina doesn't have the long-chain form. It has and scolorella They have a range of lipids, but they don't have this form of omega-3. So it's all about making sure you get these long-chain fatty acids and the, our phytoplankton really guarantees that you get it. So you don't have to worry about oh am I going to convert 1% or am I going to convert 2%? You're know, you basically assured as someone on a plant-based diet that you're going to get those essential long chain fatty acids. And you're also going to assure yourself that you're going to get those if you want to go on a flexitarian diet where you say, I want to reduce my fish consumption, but I want to make sure I don't reduce my overall omega-3s. So I, I guess the ocean really, nature, the evolution of nature really dictated that Phytoplankton, you know, these marine plants have this form of omega-3 as part of the evolution. You know, that's why fish have omega-3s. And one of the great things, Maddie, one of the aha moments that we type of talk about, you know, that I've spoke about at conferences in Europe is the fact that all fish oil is algal oil on a journey. So fish don't actually make omega-3s. They, they get these long chain omega-3s from plants at the base of the sea chain. And these microscopic fish eat the plankton, and then they pass it up the sea chain. So the fish are not basically the fish are only smelling fishy <laughs> and have this omega-3 taste and sensory feel because of the plants the fats originate from, which is phytoplankton.:
0: Oh, uh, interesting. So fish smell like fish because of phytoplankton.:
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And if you were to smell phytoplankton powder, you, it, it actually it smells you have that aroma in fact you know there's always quite a funny story because you know we have the phytoplankton is also growing as a pet supplement and you know if pets dogs and cats or you know that that really used to having a fish diet where you would open a pack you your dog or cat would run and jump over you like because what they're smelling is they're smelling <laughs> this the sensory perception of fish because they you know that's the, the their senses are saying I smell fish yeah. But yeah, what it really is is the fatty acid, the omega 3 fatty acid composition that originates from phytoplankton that has been passed through to fish.
0: Yeah, right. That's cool that we can also look after our pets because a lot of the crap from the human food industry gets put into pet food and we never really look at the ingredients on pet food. And there's so many awful things in there. And I know we having had my own pets, is that trying to be the nutritionist for the cat, like once we got the cat onto like 100% natural diet healthiest he'd ever been by far but previously had been looked after with you know cat biscuits and all of these different types of things which made him hungry made him annoying when it was mealtime because he was addicted to whatever substances and sugar and things were in there and then once we converted him to a natural diet like he was just the healthiest cat didn't worry about food wasn't hungry all the time and it's so easy to forget that oh the pet food industry is just as bad.
1: Oh yeah, these are, both these industries are on a similar trajectory. Refined sugars, refined carbs, a lot of fillers, a lot of non-natural ingredients, and and I guess the greater question is, you know, we see the change when we're observant of our animals when we take them off a, you know, a high sugar because there's so much sugar in, mm. in 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 pet food in the supermarket in your you know average pet food. The question is, you know, humans on this high sugar, yeah, highly refined carbs diet, and uh, we have the same challenges.
0: <laughs> the way I think about it is, there's only three species on the earth that have issues with obesity, and it's humans and the two species that they've enslaved, which are cats and dogs. <laughs> <laughs> You've nailed it, Maddie. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious because you just mentioned things like fillers. Because when we, whenever we see green powders. Like we, you know, especially as a nutritionist in the space that's, you know, digging through all of the information and trying to expose the truth of some of this marketing crap that's out there, there are a lot of fillers and there are a lot of things on labels that people can't interpret or understand. And so I guess in, in, in your space, what do you see in the marketplace that people use as fillers traditionally in things like green powders that are good for you versus what should be in there and what you have?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's so many different ways you could fill a green powder, You know, green powder. You know, there's so much green chlorophyll based nutrients out there. But you know, traditionally, what you get out there is you know in greens powders is a lot of ground and milled. You know, chlorophyll. You know, be it some defatted wheat grass or barley grass after they push the nutrients out of it, so it's just the cellulose. So what you see a lot of defatted greens powders can be the source of that and a lot of more creamy white filler powders that are blended with greens that you can't see the difference. So I think it's really important to be critical, mm-hmm. ask the critical questions, be critical of questioning everything is really important in this day and age. Um yeah. And you know, we we embrace, you know, people asking us critical questions. You know, we want people to ask us how do you grow it? How do you isolate it? Because Being transparent, you know, is what I believe is part of the new paradigm and companies that are genuine about giving value to the consumer, giving knowledge, giving value. I see those as the small businesses that are going to grow because Mm -hmm. there's just so many of these particularly bigger corporations that are out there. Their main goal is profit. They're run by shareholders that are disconnected from the daily operations of the business that are just you know, looking for profit. So I think questioning what are we eating, you know, what are the nutrients in the, the foods we have, what are the nutrients in the green powders you may be, you know, trying and, mm. and really understanding what our body needs is important. It's a lifelong
0: journey. Hey, hey, my listeners, what's up? If you're enjoying the episode thus far, please consider writing a review and dropping in five stars on the Apple podcast page of this show as it really does help the visibility of the podcast to guide other people to find it. And as well, it helps other curious people just like yourself prior to tuning into the show to see whether or not this podcast is a good fit. And I, of course, hope that it is. And so that's really the best way to support our work and what we do here on the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. Oh, and I also love seeing you share the episode on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. And I often reshare those posts. So be sure to give me a tag at Matty Lansdowne. Okay, let's get back into the episode. Yeah, the, and the rabbit hole keeps getting deeper and deeper with how rapidly science and food science and, you know, manipulative recipes and really easily to maneuver, easy to maneuver marketing rules become, you know, and advertising laws. It's, yeah, it's a, it's one hell of a rabbit hole, that's for sure.
1: <laughs> I think we really need to be nuanced as a populace more around the detail. Like, you know, we see, we see mm-hmm. uh, I'm personally on a plant-based diet, but mm-hmm. I am not for Mr. Bill Gates and his genetically modified mm-hmm. plant-based food. And on the other hand, you know, you've got people that may eat meat that are eating a regenerative meat diet. They're seeking their food and meat from a whole food source. So we need to get away from the the general perspective and the nuanced you're plant-based mm-hmm. or, or you're a carnivore and we need to really get down to the detail and say, well, where do I get my nutrients from? Where do they come from? Who's providing them to me? Mm-hmm. Are they credible? Are they genuine? Are they ethical? And I think when we ask ourselves these questions, then we can go on a journey of better health.
0: Yeah, completely. And I think as well... You know, one of the problems is, and it's funny because I'm potentially a part of the problem with what I'm about to say, is that with this world of uh, personal brands out there where we follow anyone that just is able to present themselves. You know, it's it's really tricky because a lot of these podcasters and a lot of these Instagram influencers and TikTok influencers and YouTube influencers, they they amass a big following and many, not all, you know, I can't speak to the integrity of other people, but a lot of people take the best financial deal on the table and so they end up promoting products whether they are a nutritionist or not or whether, you know, whatever their their niche is, and they end up promoting products and services and different things because they were offered the best deal from that company um, and sure they might use it as well but it doesn't necessarily qualify them as an expert and it doesn't necessarily mean that it is actually what's best for the consumer which you know can, is an endless topic of debate because every one of those companies would come out and debate that their product is the best right
1: <laughs> yeah and many of them are great you know so yeah, it's, of all, course. it's yeah and so it's uh, i think again it's all about you know going on your journey about What's right for your health and Mm -hmm. lifting the veil, or, you know, looking a bit deeper into what do I need for good health and where am I going to source that from? And I think your podcast, Maddie, you know, providing a platform to innovators, to people that want to support. The greater people going on that health and wellness journey is great because this is a medium to ask the questions and to learn. Yeah. So yeah, thanks for providing the platform and and I welcome more and more questions from yourself and all the people that are looking for a better diet.
0: Yeah. No. Thanks. I appreciate that. It's um. You know, I'm I'm definitely doing my best to be able to put out the right information. It doesn't mean that I'm not wrong sometimes too. You know, I've had the odd person reach out here, here and there over the years, and be like, "Oh, there was something on this episode that doesn't have you read this? You know, have you looked at this study?" And I've been like, "Oh, okay, this is a growth moment for me." You know, um, but I think the only way that that can happen from an organic and integral place is to to move through the nutrition world in an undogmatic way or a non-dogmatic way. And I think that we're so religiously attached to our dietary labels um, these days that it's kind of like, "Oh, if if you sign up to this influencer." then you can only be a vegan for life. Or you sign up to this one, then you're only a carnivore. Um, and then they can go into battle when really, we're, you know, my mission at least is really just to get everyone a bit healthier. You know, how to not get sick and die is like you can do it and there's about a thousand ways to do it.
1: Yeah, no, fantastic, Matty. It's a great ethical journey that to give others health and well-being, you know, and health mm-hmm. and well-being is not only what you put orally in your mouth for health and nutrition but also how you think. So, yeah. you know, we need to raise our consciousness, and raise our knowledge of nutrition?
0: Well, speaking of raising our um, knowledge of nutrition, something else that I found really interesting in the green powder world, um, uh, years ago I remember coming across there was just a few people online that were talking about with things like spirulina, chlorella, and other, other phytoplankton kind of stuff. They were talking about the bioavailability um, for uh, B12 and also different vitamin B uptake, and there were some people arguing that actually with some of these products, the B vitamins are blocked from being um, consumed or by the body or uptaken by the body, and because they're a bit of an analog and an analog for the listener meaning that it's a similar molecule, but it's not quite the same. and so instead of actually plugging into that receptor side on the cell and being used in the cell, it just kind of blocks the traffic. So can you talk to that B vitamin conversation?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I I guess, you know, coming from my background in Europe, the food regulations are a lot more strict about what you put in the nutritional label. And probably going back, probably 10, 12 years ago in Europe, they really were having a good look at a whole range of foods, but in particular in this case, you know, spirulina and chlorella, um both those products were featuring B12 on their labels in Europe. Mm-hmm. And so Part of the requirement to test the efficacy of every nutrient you put in the nutritional table, these products had to be tested if they were absorbable forms of B12 or if they were indeed pseudo forms. So it was there, but it wasn't in a form that was absorbable. And that led to the awareness that both in chlorella and a majority in spirulina, the form of B12 was a pseudo form. And so B12 was removed from the marketing of all chlorella and spirulina products in Europe. In Australia, we're allowed to put on a nutritional label everything that's there Mm. based on a nutritional data sheet. So, you know, the nutritional data sheet says that B12 is there in spirulina and chlorella, but it's not absorbable. And I think that's one of the big differences with our phytoplankton. It's really hard to find an uh, absorbable form of B12 in a green plant and I think well knowing our work in Europe we probably over five years of research we looked at about 160 different species and you know when we're doing the nutritional analysis and classification of all these strains in our research phase we only found four strains that had an absorbable form of B12 and we were quite excited about that. One of those strains uh, that has that absorbable B12 is part of the strains that forms our phytoplankton product. It's a multi-strain phytoplankton product, mm-hmm. and so really excited to offer a form of B12 that is absorbable and non-analog. But yeah, very hard to find in a, in a whole food form. And just to go back, Maddie, to another comment, you know, around what another difference when we're talking about our phytoplankton product that Vitality offers, mm-hmm. the bioavailability is much higher due to the particle size or the, the, the single cell plant size when we harvest. So we're talking about plants that, when they cell divide to create new single cell plants in a natural way, we're talking about micron or micrometer sizes of two micron. And the size when they mature, which is very quick, which is anywhere between 24 to 48 hours, they grow from a starting growth cell division to a mature plant size. It's the fastest growing plant in the world. Wow. They're at four to five microns at harvest size. So these are really microscopic plants, and this is why we have such high bioavailability of the nutrients. If we're even looking at something like spirulina, we're talking about 100 micron outside the spiral or chlorella being about 20 micron if it's dried in a way so it's a single cell when we consume it. So yeah. phytoplankton not only gives us hard-to-get nutrients, things like EPA, DHA, absorbable form of B12, a greater spectrum of micronutrients, but they're also in a much more microscopic form that mm-hmm. that allow us to have what we call more cellular, direct cell-to-cell absorption so we can mm-hmm. absorb them much easier due to their microscopic size.
0: Yeah, this this is incredible. Like, And this is one of the big reasons that I um, was really happy when we spoke because I had such a response to some previous Spirulina um, episodes. It was probably the biggest response the podcast has ever had. Um, just I was inundated with emails and messages of people saying, Either I can't buy this product in Australia or I've got loads of questions. And so um, I went on a quest, basically. I, I had about 15 different companies that I had reached out to asking a very specific set of questions about their farming practices and uh, their products. And some companies were like, that's proprietary information. And other other people were willing to answer the questions. Um, and, and I guess the reason that we ended up here is because you know, you went, you just sat sat with me and went through everything and all the details and all the information. There was nothing to hide, and and talked about the comparisons and your knowledge. And so, one of the things I really loved about it is that it, it it's just such a highly bioavailable source of nutrition and and irrelevant of you know where we're at on our you know dietary template. This this is you know possibly a big part of the nutritional future for a lot of people because it grows so rapidly. It's so incredibly small, but it's so abundant. It's it's like it's, you know, it's the the promised land.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I, I guess I've 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 been asked over the years a lot, why is it so diverse in its nutritional composition? And and we go back to evolution. So phytoplankton was some of the first living plant cells mm-hmm. and are related to cyanobacteria, the first single cell on the planet, you know. So phytoplankton um, that originate from an aqueous, from the sea, from a water environment a really primordial ancient food, and they're really the start of plant-based evolution. So if we go back and say, well, where is phytoplankton in the historical scale of things? You had phytoplankton being the first plant that absorbs chlorophyll from the sun. So this was the first plant on the planet that was green. Mm-hmm. From there, we went to different strains of phytoplankton. We went to what we call multiple Cellular ocean plants, which is seaweed, the big brother of phytoplankton. And then those plants and that chlorophyll moved on to land. And then we had terrestrial plants, you know, um, trees and grass. But every time we're looking at our, you know, out, out the window at the, the trees or leaves or the grass, we're actually looking at something where that originated from phytoplankton. And, and when we're going back and saying, Why is this food so nutrient diverse? Why in Mm. something so small can we have such a diversity of nutrients? We're talking like over 75 essential nutrients in something that's half the size of a red blood cell, something we can't see with the human eye as a single plant. And that's really due to the fact that it's a primordial ancient food. And, you know, it's the start of the base of plant based evolution. And that's why it's so diverse and dense.
0: Yeah, it's incredible, like just that evolutionary line that it goes back so long. And I guess in order for something to create such an abundant um, life-giving earth, the the food that was at the start of that obviously needed to be super nutritious, right?
1: Absolutely. I guess it's essential in the life we have on our planet today. You know, it's essential from being the base of the sea chain, the base of food life. It's also the food going via one step, via krill. So, you know, mm-hmm. that. Our food is essentially the almost 100 percent diet of the krill, which is the base of the sea chain, and you know phytoplankton and krill are the, the, the main diet of the biggest biggest animal, you know, the, the, the big whales we have in the ocean. And you know, some people say, "Well, how do those whales get? How did they, from an evolutionary perspective, get so big? Well, they had a diet which was primarily based only on phytoplankton nutrients you know, partially through one step phytoplankton and phytoplankton and krill that these beautiful animals from the ocean ate.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm I'm curious, like obviously these animals in the ocean consume it. Now we're talking about consuming it. You know, so many people do. And with people listening thinking like, oh, this sounds too good to be true, where's the catch? If it's like super tiny, um, it's you know amazing, it's done in a very, really healthy way, good for the climate, good for the environment, and it's the most nutritious thing I can put in my body. My question is, how much do we need to eat then? It's super tiny, but it's got lots of nutrition. Like what's the daily dose kind of look like?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Matt. I guess that really depends on whether you're on a plant-based diet or mm-hmm. whether you're on a... On a a flexitarian diet, whether it's some fish and input, remembering, you know, we've all been eating algal, algal, you know, type of proteins and essential fatty acids via fish, you know. But now what we're really doing is we're saying, hey, we're getting, we're going to, for many of us that did have source of fish proteins or fish omega 3s in our diets, now we're saying to ourselves, hey, we can go directly to the source and get them. So going back to your question, Matt. I mean, if you're a if you're a vegetarian uh, or a vegan, you know we would say two grams of phytoplankton per day in a powder form, or that could be uh, four four capsules, uh, two in the morning, two in the afternoon. Um, If you're following a flexitarian diet and you're just saying to yourself, I'm conscious and aware that fish oils have to be heavily refined and processed to be cleaned. I'm I'm aware that you know there's a lot of Um, agricultural chemical runoff that you know there's Mm -hmm. microplastics in the sea. That the sea, unfortunately, is not as clean as it used to be. Um, and I want to either put my put less pressure on the oceans, Mm -hmm. um, you know, either for ethical or just you know, or from nutrient reasons, you know, your dose if you were going to be a flexitarian, we would say at one gram a day. So basically, half your dose, two capsules or one gram, and and. Either way, you could go on that journey to get a more sustainable source. You know, we always say everyone should make the decisions based on their own habits in life and and their own journey when it's right for them. So we want to support the person that's a a vegan or a vegetarian. We want to support the person that, you know, may may consume fish or meats in their diet and take them on that journey just to have an alternative source to complement their existing diet.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And and this is probably a good time to to point everybody to your stuff. So where can everybody find you online? Where can they get get what you've got? Like, yeah, where can we point them?
1: Yeah, so we're online in Australia at Vitality, P-H-Y-T-A-L-I-T-Y. Fitality.com.au in Australia. Um, the products are also available in Europe. We're growing in Europe and in the US later this year. Uh so fitality.co.uk in the UK. Uh, but yeah for the australian listeners visit our vitality.com site and 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 yeah have a look at what we do and and please please reach out and and ask us any questions that you may have you know like good health and good nutrition is a journey that we never stop learning and we're here just to support that journey for each and in, each and every individual
0: Yeah, fantastic. And and for anybody listening, if you're thinking green powders and you're anything like me, I don't do a heap of green smoothies, but there's options for flavoured powders, the powder themselves for a smoothie um, and supplement capsules, right?
1: Absolutely. So we do the phytoplankton in a pure powder form, in a capsules form, and we also do it in a phytoplankton super greens where you might, you may want to have a range of different um, green nutrients, uh, and we have that with a nice pineapple extract, a natural organic pineapple extract, and a vanilla extract. And that one's nice to have on water. So we really created that for people that said, "I love the idea of the you know the the nutritional benefits and the ethical benefits, but I don't really like that um, salty or slightly fishy <laughs> smell." Plant you you could take it in a way where essentially these natural natural flavors mask that. Um, we also do, um, we've also recently launched the Clean Amiga Oil, which is more of a DHA-only oil from phytoplankton, and that's mm-hmm. specifically important for uh, pregnant mums or breastfeeding mums that need elevated levels of DHA. Um, yeah. Again, and you know, it's, it's, it's getting that from a clean source mm-hmm. where you know that, you know, you never got it from fish that may have, you know, the big issue, I guess, with fish oil is around potential mercury pesticides and, you know, refining refining to get a clean oil. So with algal oil, we grow it from a controlled process. So we start clean and then we don't, therefore, we don't have to remove anything either when we grow it as a whole plant or or if we extract that oil for a specific um, um, DHA supplement. The whole process is green, organic, and um, clean.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And I can definitely recommend the pineapple flavor. I actually think it's delicious. It's so good. Um, So that's fantastic. And for everybody listening, um, really exciting to be able to sort of partner with Mark because I've done so much research on this and I really think Mark's work is amazing. And it's just a cute little additive that they were the first business to support the podcast and we're back here four years later. But, But we've got a discount code and link down in the show notes below. So thank you, Mark. And is that 15% did you say?
1: That's correct. So yeah, so everyone uh, listening uh, to Maddie's great podcast and on their journey, we're we're offering a fifteen percent discount of, um, of any of the Vitality products um, in the range. So uh, so go on over to uh, go on over and uh, click on that link that, that Maddie will be sharing with you. And uh, yeah, we wish you lots of uh, sustainable and ethical health and wellness on your on your journey.
0: Amazing. So all of those links will be down in the show notes below. If you have enjoyed this episode or learnt anything or think somebody needs to hear about it, please share it with that friend or family member or on social media. Tag myself. Tag Mark with Vitality on all the platforms. We're both all out there, so um, all of that will be in the show notes below. And Mark will definitely be back because I have talked to this man for hours, and he's got so much goodness in his brain. So we're going to get him back to have all sorts of different conversations that will blow your mind. But to wrap up today, Mark, what is one piece of health information that you wish more people knew about?
1: I think you know, learning about omega threes, and not not all omega threes are the same. So the big thing I would say is understand omega-3s and what their different benefits are, particularly when it comes to terrestrial versions that are in hemp or in flax versus the longer chain omega-3s that have that proven clinical benefits.
0: Fantastic. Well, Mark, very grateful and appreciative for your time. I'm, yeah, I love this conversation. I love what you're all about and I'm excited to get this out to the people.
1: Thank you, Maddie. I'm um, Well done again. Um, love the podcast, love the work you're doing and uh yeah, happy to uh, contribute. Thank you so much for having me on. No, you're welcome. We'll catch you soon. Thank you, Maddie. Have a great day.
0: Thank you for your time. You too. Bye. Bye-bye